Hello and welcome to this Lloyd's List podcast. My name is Richard Clayton. I'm chief correspondent of Lloyd's List. Shipping is progressing towards decarbonisation as we given targets by the International Maritime Organisation for 2030 and 2050. In July this year, IMO's Marine Environment Protection Committee meets to hammer out a revised greenhouse gas strategy. It is anticipated that this meeting will set the framework for decarbonisation and the regulations that will push maritime in that direction for the next 25 years. In the meantime, ship owners are reluctant to commit to new building orders in case their assets become stranded. And while the future may see ships running only on hydrogen and ammonia, the fact is that most ships in the world fleet today are still reliant on fossil-based fuels for their operation. How are ship owners viewing the future in the weeks ahead of MEPC 80? What are the options available in the short term and the medium term? And what are the operational impacts likely to be? Joining me for this podcast is Mike Coomber, owner and executive chairman of Rivertrace Engineering, a British company specializing in water quality monitoring. Welcome to this podcast, Mike. Thank you very much, Richard. Now, you've built your company up over 40 years through close contacts with ship owners, operators and, and, and managers. There are a range of fuel options available on the market today. What are owners opting to use and why? It's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, we've got some new fuels coming through, um, which I kind of see as transients, um, if we're referring to sort of uh, eventual decarbonisation. Um, I mean, the order book at the moment is an increasing number of dual fuel vessels, um, LNG and, and diesel powered, uh, ammonia, biomethanol. I think the industry is split on what to specify, and for the for the ship manager or the ship owner more importantly who's specifying these vessels i think it, a lot depends on their operational routes and the availability of, uh, of bunkers i mean in simple terms anything deep sea hfo is still the sensible choice um albeit with uh, with scrubbers fitted um electric has its place i'm not really a fan but i think the smaller tonnage short sea operations it it does have a place um personally i don't like it because i think uh from it has possibly one of the most negative uh environmental impacts long term um let's focus on biofuels um they're beginning to gain traction in europe and asia what are these biofuels and what operational impacts do they have on the ship itself but again, there's a, a huge, a huge debate going on across industry regarding uh, these biofuels, bio, um, biomethanol uh, from crops, uh, recycled vegetable oils. I mean, the case of crop-based fuels, yeah, they require an enormous amount of land and uh, and even more water. Something that in a lot of parts of the world, um, uh, countries are struggling. Um, in our current crisis of uh, climate crisis of increasing food costs and drought, um, I don't think they're hitting the um, the environmental agenda. Uh, early adopters of them, um, why they've adopted them, I would think is for more image based than, um, uh, than the environmental impact. 
Um, but certainly early adopters have reported problems with um, filter and fuel injector clogging. Uh, it really requires a new understanding of, of fuel um, chemistry by the um, by the ship's crew. So long term, I'm not a fan. So a short term fix, but long term unlikely to be the, the, the way to solve our climate problem. Yeah, I mean, I think if I if I had a crystal ball and uh, and I was wanting to buy a ship in 20 years time, I think uh, hydrogen fuel cells um, would be um, would be the way to go. You know, it's a clean source. The technology is uh, is evolving. There's a huge amount of uh, universities um, working on on making them commercially viable. And I think in probably in 20 years, they uh, they'll have cracked it. So let's let's widen the discussion a little to look at the other operational impacts affecting the ship itself. Um, the benefits and the disadvantages of scrubbers have been debated at length, but more owners are fitting scrubbers because of the high cost of non-fossil fuels. What, what's your view on that? Well, I'm I'm pro scrubbers really, uh, and I don't agree with the uh, with the science. That, um, that says they have a, a negative impact on, on the seas. I mean, land-based uh, industries have been using scrubbers for 20 odd years, um, and they have a, a net positive impact on, on the air that we breathe. Um, I think HFO isn't gonna go away. It's, uh, it's a natural byproduct of the cracking process to produce petrol, kerosene, and diesel. Uh, and until the world depends on alternative fuel, um, HFO seems to be the fuel of choice for moving um, essentially the bulk of the world's cargo. Um, when fitted with scrubbers, uh, knocks and socks are reduced dramatically. Um, but my favourite really is, uh, is particulate matter, um, which you don't remove um, by, uh, by burning diesel. But with HFO and scrubbers, you do. And it's a, there's a, some very interesting statistics around the world. This one's this one's quite out of date now, it's probably about five years ago, but there was a report that stated that over 60,000 people die each year in Asia alone, purely due to um, PM 2.5 and PM 10 particles. And let's face it, it wasn't that long ago in London that we had a smog, and that was in large part due to the amount of diesel um, cars that were on the road. You know, London's better now, from an air quality perspective, because they've got a lot more electric taxis, buses, that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm a I'm a proponent for HFO. I mean, it's it's energy rich. It's it's one of the densest energy mediums we've got. And I think if if used properly, uh, it it should have a long term place. Um, uh, yeah, moving the world's fleet. Uh, great. What about the other technologies that that are being uh, pushed for the decarbonisation uh, debate? What do you think about wind technology, for instance, or, or, or um, bubble technology? Well, actually, yeah, those those are two of my those are actually two of my favourites. I wish I was the one that had come up with the um, with the uh, the micro bubble hole resistance uh, reduction technology. I think it's brilliant. Um, I'm a simple chap. Anything that's free is worth having. So, you know, the the, the wind is free, sun is free. So why not uh, why not utilise it, even if it's for minor ship systems uh, and not main propulsion? But it, it all helps. All all energy on board has to be generated somehow. 
and the more you can take away from fossil fuels and clearly the, the the better and closer you're going to be to driving that decarbonisation uh, agenda but there's there's also a lot of work still going on with existing engine technology uh, including diesel and um, uh, by injecting various gases to reduce NOx and SOx and improve uh, imp improve the burn of the diesel so a lot of it's about maximizing the energy density of, of whatever fuel you're you're using um i mean they're even toying with nuclear i mean nuclear has been around for a very long time certainly on warships submarines that kind of thing and there is a new generation of smaller uh nuclear powered reactors that uh, that are being sort of uh, uh, investigated so that could have a um a future uh in in the maritime from an environmental perspective, I'm not particularly a fan of nuclear. Um, it's it's fine, it's cheap when it's new, but it has some pretty nasty uh, environmental impacts at um, end of uh, end of use. So yeah, as I said before, my choice 20 years hence is um, it would be hydrogen fuel cells, and I think a lot of these fuels that are, that are coming through, they have they will have their time in the spotlight but they won't be here in 20 years time. Hydrogen fuel cells, but then you'd put um, air lubrication on and perhaps a couple of sails too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's also there's also um, hull fouling. You know, that's a major cause of of um, of drag on a ship. And there's there's quite a lot of work going into making slipperier ships. So they're you know, they're more efficient. So I think it's it's there's no one technology that um that that is a sort of the panacea it's going to be a collection of of several technologies but yeah i would certainly put the micro bubble and uh, and possibly a, a wind sail on okay and and tell me about the seafarer what's the role of the seafarer in this world of, of decarbonization um they, well, they de they demand over the last 20, 20 years. You know, it's been a real drive to cut costs, and and the human element um, is or used to be the most significant cost. Now, obviously, fuel has become the most significant cost. But with less and less seafarers on on board a vessel, with with the same amount of of work to do, um, they will they will be a pinch point um, because they're they're working on analog ships. You know the future is is a is a digital ship, and for that you need seafarers that are trained in the in the digital age. I mean, there's a lot of seafarer schools out there. Um, they go through their course, they come out there. They're not um, they don't have experience. I I would um, I would say bring back the apprenticeship scheme. You know, learn and earn uh, while you're on the job. So ships are going digital, and the skills required for a ship in the 21st century need to be taught. You know, it's, remember, it's the weakest link that holds up progress. So that could well be the that could well be the seafarer. Um, but I think automation can play a, a, a real bridging role um, in that in that learning gap. Um, you know, if you can if you can automate tasks or you can provide real time data to make the operation of a ship more more efficient that in itself will drive down uh sort of or drive the route to decarbonization as well 
So there's a, a, a very wide range of technologies that we will be looking to to use on the ships going forward. But I, I'm interested in your your uh, still interested in uh, hydrocarbons, which seems to be going against what everybody else is saying. Well, I might be a little bit of a maverick, but the science unfortunately has been proven wrong um, several times, uh, and that goes back to lead in petrol. There was a, it was an American scientist that uh, calculated, and I think some years later he actually admitted he got the decimal point in the wrong place. Um, the same uh, I hear with uh, with the the arguments about scrubbers. Um, I don't I honestly just don't believe the science. I think it's often politically driven and that's never a good thing. You know, I've sat on steering committees um for the um you know to advise IMO and uh with the best available science they uh they go the other way. So yeah, don't necessarily believe what you hear. So yeah, I I still think hydrocarbons have um an important uh role to play. Um, would I like to see um, a really clean future? Yes, of course. Um, but it's got to be sustainable. Um, everybody needs to be moving in, in the right direction. And the problem when you have such a choice of fuels, new fuels coming through, what do you do about bunkering? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a real nightmare. You know, there's no point setting sail if you can't uh, if you can't top up the tanks. So I can't let you go, Mike, without a word or two about Rivertrace. Um, how has the company developed over the years since you created it? And how do you expect it to evolve as a result of decarbonisation? Well, we used to be a very, you know, we're 40 years, it's our 40th year this year. So, yeah, we used to be a very analogue company. Um, we're now sort of 40 strong and we've very much moved into the into the digital uh, era. So, a lot of our processes are now automated, um, which drives uh, efficiency. COVID actually was um, was was great. Um, it was a great opportunity for us to reset. Um, we looked at how we could reduce the burden of managing assets on board vessels. So providing ship managers with useful data on performance and maintenance of, for example, oil water separator and monitor. Um, we expanded that. To being able to monitor other systems on board, sending the data directly to the to the ship manager and um, and his fleet management system, uh, automatic population of uh, of an electronic oil record book. So these are kind of some of the things that we've you know we've developed. Some of them might be too ahead of the market, um, but for sure with the drive to decarbonisation, um, autonomous shipping. The only way to get there is going to be, be making better use of our resources, both human and the the assets we uh, we operate on board. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, decarbonisation brings more questions than answers, and that's unlikely to be resolved by MEPC 80. There is an undoubted willingness to be cleaner and greener among the majority of owners and operators, as Mike has already said, but there is a need to make this not only sustainable, but also commercially viable. So thank you to Mike and thank you to you for listening to this Lloyd's List podcast.